What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got superhuman in the flesh right here, Kristen Rao. How you doing? I'm well. Thank you, Robert. How are you? I am great. I am great. Um, so you are like a just a a beast of all all descriptions. I mean, you you do endurance athlete running. I mean, you do bodybuilding. Let's just dive into all of it. You know, what what got you into this? Just give the audience a little bio on you, kind of what what brings you here in the first place. Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. So, um, I'm a trial lawyer, so I work a fair amount. I have a pretty busy trial practice, but I also am a big marathon runner. I've now run 22 marathons. And I also just this spring got my pro card in the International Pro Elite Division for bodybuilding for figure. So I started bodybuilding competitively in 2017 and have done a few shows now and was able to earn my pro card that way in a natural federation, which is awesome. So um, a lot of different interests. The trial lawyer work is sort of the main thing that I do, of course, for my career. But I've always looked at my health and fitness, both in terms of what I eat in my diet and how I spend my time in the gym and with exercise as a part of my job. So I have to work long hours, especially when I'm in trial. Some days I work longer hours than others, but it's really important to me to be able to be physically and mentally fit because my job is demanding. And so if I'm in trial, for example, I can't afford to at two o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of court have the afternoon slumps that people often get when they're carb fueled people. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my diet and my exercise really helped me perform better for the work that I do. And that's been a huge edge, I think, that has given me over time. Absolutely. I, I remember the first time I met you, it was at last year's KetoCon. And I think you came, came up to me after my speech or something. But I, I took one look at you. I'm like, oh, wow, she's been competing for years. And you said this was your first competition. And then you said that you'd been marathon running for, for, I don't know how many runs it was at that point, 20-something probably. And yep. usually you, you don't see that very often. You don't see people that compete on stage and also do the endurance running because they kind of compete for one another. Yeah, so I, I kind of have coined this phrase for myself. I just always say I'm what I think of as a crossover athlete because I cross over between the strength and endurance. And it started out that I've run – for a number of years, I did my first marathon while I was in law school as a way to, to reduce stress because I thought it would be good to have an outlet. And mm -hmm. I had the goal of doing one, checking off the bucket list and not doing any more. And then I just got the, the bug where I, I enjoyed it. And so I've done a number of them since. But I've always strength trained. So I started lifting probably when I was 14 years old. I would go to the gym and it was just something that I watched my dad do when I was growing up. He would get up and go to the gym before work and lift. And so I always was curious about it. <clears throat> and so I started lifting. Well, then I got really serious about lifting after I started practicing law. Because when I was in law school, it was one thing to be able to go out for a run for an hour and then still be able to go to the gym and you know lift upper body one day, lower body another day. But I needed to figure out a way to get more efficient about it. And so one of my girlfriends who I ran with told me about this gym where I could lift for 30 minutes twice a week and that's all I would do and you get really good results and I thought come on there's no way you got to be crazy but I went and did my first workout and it was the most challenging strength training workout I'd ever done and so I was hooked so that was in about 2007 and the premise behind that sort of lifting 
I use a lot of machines. I've been lifting with them twice a week since 2007. And the premise about that is that I, everything I do, I go to failure. So I'm mm -hmm. doing momentary muscle failure. I'm not doing two sets of anything. And so for me, just because it's only a 30-minute workout twice a week, it's been really good for me because it's really efficient with all the other stuff I do. So I guess my point, Robert, is that I have strength trained and been a runner kind of throughout my whole running career. And so I don't look like the typical marathon runner, I don't think. I look more like a competitive bodybuilder. But mm -hmm. what's odd is the strength training has actually made my running better. I mean, for sure, if I was to hold on to extra weight and be a bodybuilder, like if I was to compete in the physique division, which is a level above figure, that might be a little more challenging for me as a runner. But the figure seems to work well with it. So I've just gone with it. I've just yeah, gone no, with for it. Sure. I mean, you look incredibly healthy. Like, I don't know any other way to describe it. I mean, you have you know, muscle definition and tone, but I mean, you're able to run you know, these long distances that just, I mean, one of the stereotypical knocks on bodybuilders and, you know, strength athletes is that they, they don't have any endurance. So, I mean, you, you clearly slapped that in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel lucky that I was able to do it. And it's funny as I have, we can talk a little bit about kind of how I stumbled upon keto and my journey with that. But as I've honed in better on my diet and really switched over in the last several years to being a fat-fueled athlete instead of a carb-fueled athlete, that's made my running better too. I mean, yeah, I just that, think about, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, that's been, it's been really crazy. And um, I don't know if you, I, I can't remember when we met at KetoCon last year if we had a chance to talk about this. I know I, I saw you this year too, but I, the reason this all started for me is in 2013, it was December of 2013, I was on a work trip in Williston, North Dakota, and I fell on ice. It was the middle of winter. It was 20 below zero. I fell on ice just randomly. It was right in front of the airport. I was, I had dropped something. I was trying to pick it up. Anyways, I fell and I broke my right leg in 10 places. So I shattered it. And it was my, <clears throat> my lower leg. It was my tib-fib. And I thought, you know, after I'm in the hospital and overnight and I, I get the leg uh, surgically reconstructed a week later, I thought, oh my God, this is going to ruin my running career. You know, I was really worried about my running career at that point because I hadn't started competitive bodybuilding yet. And so I didn't have the ability to run on it for several months. They told me I wouldn't walk on it for three months. I ended up walking on it after two months because after the injury and as I started to do the physical therapy, the other thing I did right away was to get back in the gym and start mm -hmm. lifting. And the reason I did that is because I had done some research and I understood that your limbs have muscle memory between them. So if you break your right arm and you continue lifting for your left arm, you're actually your right arm, scientifically, it's proven that it won't atrophy as much. I mean, obvious little atrophy because you're not using it. Mm -hmm. But I thought, well, my right leg is the only thing that's broken. My left leg's not broken. My arms aren't broken. My back's not broken. I can still get to the gym. So I would hobble around the gym with crutches. They would take me through a full body workout using everything except my right leg. And I really think that's what helped me come back a month earlier than the doctors told me I would. So I started running on my leg several months after that. And because I hadn't been doing as much cardio and I was, you know, one of those people that was of the belief that you always need to do cardio because that was just how I operated. And I've since moved away from that, but I started to just research different diet stuff. And there were a combination of circumstances that sort of led me to keto, but the primary one was the chiropractor I was seeing at the time at the end of 2013, early 2014 was an ultra runner. And I don't know if you know this, but in the ultra running world where they do these 50 mile, 100 mile races, a lot of those guys are keto. Mm -hmm. And they yeah, use fat. Yeah, Zach Bitter on the other day and he was totally keto. 
Yes, exactly. So, so I had kind of heard that it was a big thing in that world, but it just hadn't come into the marathon world at all yet. I mean, ultra runners are doing 50 miles, 100 miles, and they need to not bonk, obviously, and you can't mm -hmm. continuously eat carbs for those long distances. So he'd be working on me doing my chiropractic stuff and doing soft tissue work. I'm like, so wait, so what's this keto thing? And what are you talking about? And are you kidding me that you eat fat when you're running? How do you not bonk? And I started to learn about it through him. And then I started to do my own research. And I thought, well, I want to play around with this. So I would do little things where, you know, my next half marathon, I'd try to eat some more fat. And then I learned, okay, you can't really do it right before the race. So that's not going to help with your GI issues. And I just yeah. kind of kept experimenting. And what I found was it was that year in 2014, I just, I started to do all my cardio fasted. Fasted was just working best for me. I had really done fasted cardio most of my running career, but I started to just fine tune it better and then practice different things before races and different meals the night before. And by 2015, when I ran my debut marathon after coming back from my leg break, the only thing I had was a packet of coconut butter before the race. And it was my best marathon I'd had yet. And I felt amazing. I didn't hit the wall at 20 miles like everyone talks about. It just was the greatest race because my body had already switched over to being fat fueled. And so I didn't need all these carbs. And if you compare that to the marathon that I ran in May of 2012, <clears throat> I remember I had to take a goo, you know, those goos they give you during the marathons. Mm -hmm. I took one of those every five miles in that marathon. And I had a great race. I ran well, but I had to do a goo every five miles so I wouldn't bonk because I was totally glycogen fueled at that point. Yeah, and I remember crazy. thinking, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so some people, I mean, like there's such a, a disbelief in like the endurance. I mean, I think a lot of endurance athletes are catching on. I think keto is catching on much more quickly there than in other sports, but there's still so many endurance athletes that just assume that since you're going the longer distances, you have to have the carbs. And I mean, <laughs> here you are just having coconut oil and, not, and just skipping the goose entirely and you're running your best. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember at that time in 2012, I remember, it's like, you know how, I don't know if this happens for you, but because my learning and all of my journey on this health and fitness diet, you just learn little things as you go. And there's little things that sort of nag in the back of your brain. I remember thinking in 2012, this can't be right. Like who needs to have five goos to get through a marathon? Like it just seemed it, like I knew in my brain, it didn't seem to make sense. And I thought there has to be a different way. And I remember the night before that marathon, when everyone was ordering their pasta at dinner and I was with my running group, I just thought, I don't, I don't know that I want to have all that pasta before I run this race. And of course I always had done that in years past, but something was just telling me don't do it. So I remember I ordered chicken and vegetables. And so I didn't feel weighted down that morning when I started running. So it was just little things like that, that I would experiment with and try. And then fast forward to my debut marathon after my leg break. And like I said, coconut butter only, and it was great. And then my last marathon in 2017, when I ran last fall, I did instead of just water, because that's usually what I do along the course, I brought exogenous ketones with me and I tried those. And those worked that, great too. That make much of a difference? Like, could you tell a difference between the two? Yeah, I guess the only thing that I noticed, I didn't, my training was a little different for this race. So this race was just tougher for me because I didn't work on my speed work as much as I should. Um, so I cramped a little bit more, but I would think that I'm going to add some more magnesium, potassium, those kinds of things for my next race this fall, just because I want to experiment with some of that a little bit. That obviously is in most exogenous ketone products, mm -hmm. but I'm going to play around with what some of the formulas are before I, before I get to the starting line of that race. 
Do you happen to have a picture of, of your, like an x-ray of your leg fracture in 10 places? I do. I do. You have to send it to me. I'll put that in the show notes. I'm, I'm curious. I will. I will. You can see it. So I got 22 pieces of metal in my leg after that fracture. I have a picture of the before where you can see the fractured leg. And then it's crazy. They put two plates. So one plate on the right, one on the left. And in the plates on each side were 10 screws. So I had 20 screws and two plates in my leg. Does that affect you at all? Like when you're running or lifting now, like, can you feel any difference? You know, I don't. The only time I would say I notice a little bit every once in a while, because I did get all the metal out, I should add that. So the new science, apparently, which I learned all through about through this process is a lot of these orthopedic surgeons, when they put that much metal in your body, they really want to take it out as soon as they can after it's been in there long enough to totally heal you. So when the guy did it in December of 2013, he said, I want you to come back in December 2014 and we're taking all this metal out. So he did. And so the only thing I'll notice, I still call it my cankle because it's a little wider than my other ankle just because of the way the bones came back together. But um, they, the only thing I'll notice sometimes is if it's like really humid out or, you know, with the weather changes, sometimes I'll notice it's a tiny bit sore. I did really good PT. So I have pretty much full, full um, movement in everything. But every once in a while, I'll just notice a little bit of impingement or restriction. I'm impressed, honestly. Like a lot of people would have totally have used that. I mean, you know, breaking your leg in 10 places and getting 22 screws is not like a trivial thing. So, so many people would have used that and said, okay, my running days are over. I can't lift anymore and just retire to the couch. And here you are running marathons, getting your pro card in natural competitions. Yeah. It's like, you know, screw the excuses. Totally. I mean, that's my thing. It's like, you know, you and I have had conversations about that before just in getting to know each other through KetoCon. And then my work with you and getting ready for that show, it's, it's fascinating to me how many people use excuses for things when there's really another way. And so one of the things that I try to at least be an example of for people and people have told me that I inspire them to either get to the gym or to try a new diet. It's like it, it really every time you make a choice about putting something in your mouth or about whether you're going to go to the gym or do that exercise, it's a choice. And it really is all with you. So I, I know that some of this stuff to learn it and people feel overwhelmed in like making lifestyle changes, but it's such small decisions each day that all of us do that if they can just start, you know, one thing, just try one thing different and then try one other thing the next day. Um, I just, I was not going to let this get me down. And I thought this is a devastating injury, but I'm just not going to let it destroy me. And so I didn't, I didn't. What do you think like triggered that like fierce mentality in you from the very beginning? Like, you know, as a child or like, was it like a moment? Like, was there like any catapulting factor that just, you know, was a tipping point for you that like, okay, I'm never making excuses in life. I'm just going all in and not looking back. Or is it just kind of like a progression of your life and the situations you lived through? Yeah, that's a great question, Robert. Um, I think I'd say that it probably was just more about kind of always from a young age, having a lot of drive and determination. So I, in my work, probably in the last few years, hired this marketing coach to kind of help me with some business stuff. And one of the things she made me me do was to take this exam called Strength Finders. I don't know if you've ever taken that. Mm -hmm. I hadn't taken it. I think people that work in the corporate world do more of those um, tests periodically, but I hadn't taken it. So it was really interesting for me to take. And I had competition as one of my top five strengths, <laughs> which I think I've just always had a competitive streak in me from a young age. 
And it really has manifested for me in just being competitive with myself. So mm -hmm. one of the quotes I've always said, and I just kind of made this up myself several years ago, as I said, I really believe if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Like I don't think people really just tread water or stay stagnant through life. Either you're getting better in little ways or you're getting worse in little ways if you're not working on things. And so, you know, there's like anything, you sometimes take two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes you're catapulting forward in all areas of your life. And then sometimes you have setbacks. But I really look at life as I want to constantly be improving, constantly learning. I find the whole health and fitness world and my experimentation in it to be so fascinating and so fun for me. I'm just really passionate about it. And so I really used that devastating injury as a way to say, okay, I can let this get me down or I can choose to use it as a way to learn all sorts of different things about myself and figure out what my resilience really is. And so that's what I did. The other thing I did was um, I was worried that when I had that bad of a leg break after having been a weightlifter for that long and a runner, I thought, well, geez, I wonder if I have some sort of underlying osteoporosis issue or something. Because it just seems so crazy to me that mm -hmm. someone as strong as I was at the time could break my leg that bad. So I also started doing a lot of research about supplementation and, you know, micronutrients and how do you make sure that your body's actually absorbing the nutrients you're getting. And so that, that also kind of helped with all my understanding of keto and just figuring out how, um, I could maximize, you know, what, what I'm doing by way of my diet and figuring out how to make me the most healthy as I move forward. I love it. I think, you know, it, it's, it manifests itself in all aspects of life. There's not like a standalone fitness in one corner, you know, career path in another, like it's all symbiotic in nature. And I've always preached this to anybody, you know, anybody who has ever asked me and, and you're like a perfect illustration of it. Like everything builds off of one another and, you know, your fitness, your nutrition, that impacts your career and your success there. And to, to hear you talk about having like this low point in your life and leveraging that, you know, being stoic about it and helping that and using it to catapult you forward as opposed to, you know, hold you back. I mean, so many people would benefit from that kind of mindset because that kind of mindset can be applied by anybody in any situation in their life. Yeah, it really, really can. It really can. And it was amazing just when I got back in the gym after that injury, because I had surgery and then two weeks later, I was back in the gym lifting. You know, just the confidence that it would continue to give me by continuing to get stronger for my upper body, watching my left leg still get stronger. I mean, we laughed at the gym because as my right leg atrophied, because obviously it did, I didn't stand on it or put any weight on it for two months. I would mm -hmm. call it my chicken, my chicken calf. Cause you know, I have pretty big calves, but yeah. it atrophied really bad. And then my, my right quad just got so little. It was so funny how little my right leg was compared to my left. Um, but I gained so much forward movement, I'd say. It's almost like it's, it's, if you can get yourself to sort of take those steps to give you that forward momentum, I feel like you just get the momentum to keep working harder and getting better. You know, by going to the gym one time and being like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I can still do my upper body lifting and my left leg and all this stuff. It was like, yeah, I want to go back because that felt really good. I actually was really worried after the injury about what it might do to my serotonin levels. You know, I've been lucky that I've never suffered from depression or any of that kind of stuff, but I thought, I've also worked out my whole life. What if, yeah. what if this injury makes me totally a hermit and antisocial and I don't know what'll happen to all my hormone levels if I'm not sweating every day. I was really worried about all that stuff. 
So that was another reason it just motivated me to get in because I knew if I had that adrenaline and serotonin release from the exercise, it would just continue to keep me happy and keep my mood up and keep me energized to go to work and just not let it get me down. Like that stuff actually helps you stay out of the rut in addition to getting you out of it, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. It's hard, it's hard to put into words like the, the sensation that comes over you when you're doing something that like, quote unquote, you shouldn't be or doesn't make sense to do. But when you're going above and beyond, you're like freaking given everything you have, like every muscle fiber is strained, every mental synapses is fired. Like when you're going to the freaking nth degree, you know it, you realize it. And you know if you're holding back, you know, the inverse of that, you know if you're not putting forth maximum effort. But when you do, and that's like your day to day, then that itself becomes such a motivational factor because you're literally reaching new heights and changing your perspective every single day. And when you're doing that, like that's how I feel about every single contest prep I do or every single like growing this business that I am now, like anything that's like that, that's incredibly hard is totally out of your comfort zone. And you literally have to like fixate on the moment just to get through the moment. When you do that, I mean, you are literally becoming a better person real time. And that is like, like, I don't see how people can afford not to do that because I mean, you have a limited time on this planet and those moments of incredible trial is is what makes life worth living. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And you've been such a good example of that. I've just watched this, you know, I met you at KetoCon last year and I've watched your business grow so significantly in the last year. And it's just remarkable. And it's a testament to every single day you are deciding I'm going to put my energy towards this. I'm going to do these small things each day that are going to just continue to expand and grow my business. And it's been working. It's fantastic to watch. So kudos I appreciate to you that. for doing that. No, I, yeah. I really appreciate that. And see, that's yeah. like, and this is a common thing on my podcast, but no matter what you're doing, like you don't have to be in business. You don't have to be, you know, fitness competitor, yada, yada, yada. As long as you're like chipping away at whatever your thing is a little bit each day, I mean, get excited about the long term. I mean, you're going to be able to look back and there's going to be so much of a distance between where you started and where you ended then I mean, like, it's just, it's just the consistency. I think consistency and determination are honestly like the two biggest variables to success. Yeah, no, that's a great point. It's funny because um, I've been sharing a little bit more on Instagram recently with respect to like my macros and my food and my workouts and that kind of thing. And I think some people think I'm nuts when it comes to how I track my macros and what I do, but I literally get so charged up, excited about it. Like I'm one of these data nerds who just likes to see, okay, well, if I have this snack, then my fat goes up here. And now I know for my next meal, I need to focus more on protein or less on protein. And I just really enjoy it. And so, yeah, a consequence of it is I'm going to have a better lift in the gym or I'm going to have a better workout or you know, my bicep might look that much better, whatever, but I actually find the process of it so fun. So Mm -hmm. I just, I, 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 for people that can just get charged up about the process of something. And if it's not tracking macros or, you know, during doing a particular kind of workout or whatever, fine. But I just think it would be so helpful for people to hear, figure out what it is that charges you up like that and gets you excited. Because it's really for me, even though, yes, I set the marathon on my calendar, I sign up for it, I pay for it. And I know I have to do X number of runs, speed workouts, long runs, whatever, get me there. It's actually that process where I have to get out that day and do that long run, or I have to go do that speed workout, or I get to take that rest day because I worked hard the last few days. The process of that, I also totally enjoy. It's not just about getting to the finish line at the end of that marathon. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's that's one of the best feelings that I get or stepping on stage and getting a trophy is also one of the best feelings. But if you don't enjoy all of the individual steps it takes to get there, or if you can't find some benefit to them, you're never going to want to get to that finish line because you're just going to give up on the process. I completely agree. And you said it perfectly. Like people need to look backwards, like figure out what it is they want to do and then work backwards from that reverse engineer. If they don't think that they'll like and enjoy all the freaking, you know, day-to-day minutia of that process, then they might as well just never go down that task or learn to change the way they think about the process because they will never be able to excel at that thing if they hate the day-to-day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the process. And you, you said it exactly how I do it, which is, and I've had, I've had friends and business mentors and people ask me about this. They've said, how is it that you continue to have these goals that you set for yourself outside of just regular business? Like, how is it that you get yourself to do it? And for me, the answer is pretty simple. It's that I know how rewarding it is to set a goal, reverse engineer what I need to do to get there, actually do all of that work, and then achieve the goal. For me, that's like the holy grail of life, you know? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a fitness competition or a marathon. It could be some other smaller type of race. It could be a goal with respect to a relationship or a family. It could be anything. But if I set the goal, put the thing on my calendar, say, this is my end date, you know, it might be for someone losing 2% body fat or being able to figure out how to do, go from doing five push ups to 25 push ups in a row. Who knows? But if you set the goal on, here's what I want to do this by, and then I know between today's date and that date, here's all the things I need to do to figure out how to get there. Just that process is so rewarding to me. I, I, I love identifying a goal, setting it, and achieving it. It's awesome. Yeah, I don't know how pe- people ask me, how do I get motivated? And I, I, I've never really understood that question because I've never really had a problem with motivation. Like, I don't know why that is like an elusive <laughs> thing. I mean, you obviously are not shy on motivation. Like, you just, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like you, you have a finite amount of time on this planet. Like, you are going to die. How can yep. you not be motivated while you're alive, you know? Yep, I totally agree. And it, you know, I always feel like on that point, we're given this one life. I really want to maximize my time here and get as much enjoyment, fulfillment, and satisfaction out of it as I can. Because, you know, like you said, we only have so much time. And I, if people could at least go through that process once, of setting a goal and achieving it and realizing how rewarding and satisfying it is. I think people may be more willing to do that regularly in their life. I just, I, I feel lucky that I've had that kind of inherent motivation my whole life. I'm, I'm grateful for it. That's for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I hope people listen to this podcast, hear your words and, and think just like that, because that is 100% the right way to think in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. Um, so on a, much more, uh, like, I guess, specific tangent here. What, let's sure. talk about like your, your macros, your training. Let's just dive into come some of the specifics of what works for you. Sure. So I've done a lot of experimentation over time with, with kind of what my proper macronutrient ratio is and what seems to work the best for me. And I'm, I've been surprised that I'm one of these individuals that can kind of tolerate or take a little more protein than maybe the average keto person can take. So I set my macronutrients at about 
70% fat, 25% protein, and 5% carbs. And so, you know, that's still a ketogenic profile, mm -hmm. but for someone who's more 80, 85, more therapeutic keto, where they're doing 80 to 90% uh, fat and much less protein, that works for them. This is just the ratios that I found work for me. I know that, and you and I have talked about this before, if I bring my fat too high and my protein too low, I find that I'm not satiated and I'm pretty hungry and miserable. So for whatever reason, when I give my body more protein, it, um, it ends up making me more satiated. In fact, ketocon wise, Danny Beg and I were talking a little bit about that and Jason Whitrock and I were talking about that just because our bodies seem to be able to take higher protein thresholds and not kick us out of ketosis. And I think there's just some people that that works for and some people that it doesn't. So I'm lucky that that's, I know that that's what my body needs. So I eat a lot of uh, meat. I eat a lot of eggs. I, in the last several months, have, have cut out dairy. I will every once in a while have it for a treat. Um, I'm not nuts about it, but I just find that my body's better if I don't have it. It's one of those things I can tend to overeat. So I just try to be careful about it. And yeah, that's kind of what's worked for me and how I've honed my my diet over time. I can pretty much do maintenance calories of about 2,000, 1,900, 2,000, and I'm fine. Sometimes I can do more than that. If I've had pretty intense long workouts, I can take a higher calorie. But if I diet religiously for a period of weeks, if I'm getting ready for a show, for example, and I really want to cut my macros down by way of calories, um, 1,800 will do it for me pretty easily. Which is crazy. I mean, <laughs> the grand scheme of things, like, like when I was working with you, getting ready for that show, I mean, I was just amazed at how responsive your body was to the higher calories. I mean, I literally got lower on my calories during my contest prep than you did in yours. <laughs> and this just blows my mind because I've got more muscle mass and size than you, yet here you are eating more than me. Right, right. I don't know what it is. You're just a freak. Yeah, freak of nature, I suppose. It's lucky. <laughs> Although I sit here and I see stuff like that. You know, Danny or some of these guys are doing by way of calories that they're able to consume. And I think, God, I wish I could eat that many because if left to my own devices, I probably would consume that many all day. But it's why I track. You know, yeah. I just, I know some people I know tracking gets them a little bit crazy and it makes them kind of dabble into, you know, negative food issues. And you've talked about that on your show before because I've heard you share about that. For me, <clears throat> I haven't had that problem, which is lucky. So for me, tracking works. Now, I'll have days where it's like, oh, I'm just going to be hanging out with my friends. I might have, you know, like yesterday, for example, I was out on a boat. I brought a bunch of keto snacks with me. I had snacks on the boat. It was easy for me to stay on my diet, but I also had some drinks and we had dinner last night and I didn't track day, my whole day, but mm -hmm. now today I'm tracking. Tomorrow I'm tracking. So I have days every once in a while where I'm not, you know, tracking every single calorie that I'm consuming. But I just try to do everything pretty balanced and I'm tracking a lot more and I'm monitoring my consumption a lot more than I'm not. I think tracking calories, um, it's a very interesting topic. Like I, I track calories and I'll track like to the freaking gram when I'm prepping for a competition. When I'm in the off season or I don't have a competition coming up, I'm a little bit more lax, very close though, but not like freaking obsessive about it. But even when I'm obsessive about it, like in a competition prep, I don't let it negatively impact my mind. I used to be, you know, very obsessive about food. I had, you know, eating disorders, which I've talked about in the past. But I think 
you know, I mean, tracking is tracking. Like it's simply that there's no negative in that. I think it becomes a negative when you have the wrong outlook or mindset towards it. And that can be corrected by the way you think. So you can't ever blame the simple act of tracking as messing up somebody's, you know, psyche. It's all about how you think about that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's funny, I track because I want to make sure I'm getting enough of the nutrients that my body needs mm-hmm. each day. So it, it, for me, it's just like, oh, so when I eat that, I made chia seed pudding, chia, chia seed pudding for example, which I, I love. So I made that one time and then I wanted to add protein powder to it because it added really good flavor. Mm-hmm. But on the particular day when I was eating it, I'm like, you know, I've already had a fair amount of protein today, so I'm not going to add it to the chia seed pudding this time because I just don't need it right now. And then maybe a couple of days later, if I make that pudding again and I don't have as high of protein at the time I eat it, then I can add protein to it. But it just helps me be more mindful about the macronutrients that I'm putting into my body and what I really need. And all of that helps with my athletic performance, my work performance, my sleep you know, whether I'm in a good mood, all of that stuff, it's all related. So yeah, I'll give an example of just last November, I had a really significant trial. And I put myself on what I literally referred to as my trial diet. And I'm sure some of my partners thought I was nuts. But I was I tracked my macros the entire trial. And yes, you're very busy in trial. But it takes two seconds to enter something into your phone. And I wouldn't necessarily do it right there when I'm in the middle of trial, but I would do it later that day or at night just so I'm making sure I knew what I was having. And what was awesome about that whole two-week-plus experience when you're working morning, noon, and night every day, all those days in a row, is my energy level was really good. I didn't have slumps in energy. I felt like my brain was on and on and on all day long because, of course, your body is producing ketones. and so. I just felt that I was so much more efficient and I was more effective as a lawyer because I kept my trial diet so on point. I had tested in the bod pod before trial started and then tested in the bod pod after trial was over just to give myself an experiment that I actually could measure. And I managed to um, lose a percentage point, not a whole percentage point, but like a point. One, I went from 14.7 to 14.6% body fat while I was in trial because I still got my workouts in. On the days that I couldn't, I just made sure I was really mindful about the calories I was putting in. And, you know, it all just comes down to the intentionality behind it, I think. If you're intentional about the choices that you make and what you're doing by way of the food that you're eating, it really can affect your energy, your mood, your performance, all of those things. They're all related. Absolutely. I think. Like previously, before I was keto, you know, there'd be days where I would just seemingly randomly, you know, have a stomach ache or I would, I would feel nauseous or I would be hungry or before. There's just so much inconsistency with how I felt on a day-to-day basis, which in turn affected how I performed that day with training and, and whatever else I was doing. Um, but now, like I literally know exactly how I'm going to feel to the T. I, I can optimize on that. I can peak my energy at certain times. I can, I can feel more satiated at certain times. Like I have complete control over how I feel in a 24-hour period because I know exactly what I'm putting into my body. Yep. yep. And that is, is I mean, <laughs> there's so much to be said for that. That gives you just complete control over how you perform in a day and, and your life compounded. I mean, people that have so much inconsistency, that's just a huge dampening factor on how well they're able to go through day to day. Yep. Yeah, and the other thing that I was just thinking about as you were saying that, and you helped me with this a fair amount, 
when we were working together, which is really practicing figuring out sort of the time-restricted eating windows mm-hmm. and the intermittent fasting. And so I would do those experiments even during trial, which was awesome, which was see how long you can go without eating. And so I would usually have a snack mid-morning at trial, but there were several days where I just wouldn't eat until we got to lunch. And that's pretty much how I do my regular diet now. I usually do all my workouts in the morning fasted before work. And if I'm really hungry at some point later that morning, I might have a snack at like 1030 in the morning. Otherwise, I'm typically not eating till about one, two in the afternoon. And so that's just efficient. Also, I mean, when you take out all of the time, think about like the traditional bodybuilding diet that I'm sure you did in mm-hmm. the past and that I know I've did where you are eating six, seven times a day, you're prepping. I've done competitions that way. It's a lot of work and it's really time consuming. And you have to go heat up your food and now you have to eat again. And now you're thinking about when you're eating. So I've loved how keto has made me more efficient because I think about food so much less mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm just not obsessed with it in the way that I would say that I could have been in the past, even though I'm tracking all my macros and even though I'm, I'm really excited about all the, all that aspect of eating, I don't feel as obsessed with, okay, now I have to eat again and what am I going to eat? It, it just seems, I feel like I have a healthier relationship with food, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like honestly, keto was the reason I was able to overcome my eating disorders because there's a difference between tracking your macros meticulously when you're eating six meals a day and everything you think about in a day is about food versus tracking your macros when you eat two days, two times a day and you pretty much like know when and what that's going to look like. So, I mean, it just takes that the whole, you know, obsessing and constantly thinking about it. And when you take that out, then, then tracking macros is, is like a, a moot point because it's not like you're obsessive about eating. Right, right. And I'm sure you and I could go down a whole rabbit hole on this, but I'll, I'll kind of try to give people this way to think about it. When you are constantly eating carbs, or at least I'll speak for myself, when I was constantly eating carbs, because carbohydrates literally make your body addicted to them, because they're a sugar, they change your dopamine receptors in your brain. And you literally like want more and more and more. So it's not unlike being addicted to alcohol, drugs, other things. And so you do feel, or at least I should say I felt, um, really kind of married to the food. Like I had to, when am I going to have my next thing? And what snack can I have now? And oh, now I'm really hungry again. And it's because I was constantly on that blood sugar roller coaster of wanting something, being hungry, you know, giving myself another carb, that would make me more hungry. And it just was, it, I personally felt like that is a miserable way to live long-term because you do feel very, um, maybe, what's the term? You feel very um, stuck in the cycle of being, needing the carbs, not eating, thinking about food the next time. Okay, now I want to try not to eat that. Okay, maybe I can just have one. Well, now I want to. It's, I, I just felt like it, that roller coaster was miserable. So I don't mm-hmm. know if you experienced that when you used to eat carbs. But for me, that's been probably one of the biggest benefits is feeling like my relationship with food is totally different and way healthier. Yeah, absolutely. In the past, this is interesting. I would walk into a grocery store and I would have to intentionally avoid certain aisles because like just, just like self-doubts and um, I don't know, just like this the weakness would come over me and like I would I would feel 
um, you know, self-conscious of things I'd cheated on, you know, foods that I shouldn't eat in the past. And it was just like, like the grocery store literally was like intimidating to me, which is just pathetic. Now, like I'll go to the grocery store, I'll, I'll eat foods that I, I'm excited to try to kind of optimize, you know, some aspect of what I'm trying to work on at the moment. But it's like exciting, like it's fun. Like I can get excited about going to the grocery store and the foods that I'm eating or looking up or ordering because it's with a very specific purpose in mind. And I control that purpose as opposed to that food controlling me just for sheer pleasure and addiction. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's so funny. I, I love grocery shopping. I love going to the grocery store. But I think about how different my experience at the grocery store is now versus what it was, you know, even 10 years ago, where now, and I'm sure you do this too, there's all sorts of recommendations about if people really want to start eating healthier, you shop the perimeter of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And that's all I do. Like, I, there's probably one aisle I go down on occasion, like to get to the nut butters. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm walking in, I'm in the produce, I'm in the meat. I'm in all of the sections that are the whole raw, natural, healthy foods, and I only go down the aisles as necessary to get a few things that are still a part of my keto protocol. I just don't, I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I walked down an aisle of a store where all the cereals are because I just don't eat it. I haven't eaten cereal for, you know, I don't even know how many years, but if you don't have that as a part of your if you take it out as one of your options for what you consider to be, quote, food, which is exactly how I look at it, there are just a number of things that I refuse to agree are food. You don't even have them on the table anymore as far as an option, and it's a lot easier to say no. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. Like when you remove something, when you flip that switch, same concept holds true when you're going into a competition prep and you flip that switch and you just like, you become really meticulous and very, very... um you know, rigorous with your training, your nutrition, same concept holds true when you're grocery shopping. Like if you remove that as an option and it's no longer on the forefront of your mind, then there's no temptation there and it's just gone. Like that, that removal as an option and flipping that switch is the hardest part. But, but once you do that and train yourself to do that, then it's just easy after that because then it's like, okay, it's not even there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly true. And it's funny you know, I, there's definitely certain foods that I eat that still come in boxes or in packages. And that's just the kind of the way the world works. But there are so many things that I will observe other people eating or other people purchasing at stores or I'll see in grocery carts. And I'm thinking there's, if you could, I wish that I could help people change their frame about what is and what is not food, Mm -hmm. but because, and this, I could go down a whole rabbit hole on this with the meditation work I've started to do this year. But what's interesting to me is because I feel like so many of us, and I'll include myself in this as far as how I used to operate, people are so used to doing things on autopilot and just picking something off the shelf because they did it. I mean, heck, there's probably a lot of people that pick stuff off the shelf when they walk through the grocery store because that's what they grew up with in their house and that's what their mom chose. And so they think, well, that's food and that's what I buy and that's what I make when I make dinner and so I'm just going to buy that. And so one of the things that's really switched for me and it's made this whole food journey a lot easier is I finally, and I've meditated on and off for, I'd say probably a handful of years, but I never had a regular meditation practice. And so at the end of last year in 2017, what I finally did is I wrote it down and actually shared it on Instagram. It was one of my things that I said, I'm going to meditate every day. And so just kind of putting it out there and saying I was going to do it, I've really focused on that. 
And that has also just made me be more mindful of the choices I'm making in all aspects of my life, but it's actually translated into my food. I didn't do it to be more mindful about my eating or my food. It's just been a consequence of what's happened as I've continued to be more present and more aware in each moment and figure out exactly what it is I'm choosing and why. The mindfulness around that is so helpful in all decisions with respect to kind of food and and health and fitness, frankly, in addition to all other aspects of my life. So that's been another sort of benefit that I'd, I'd share for however that's helpful to people. No, I love it. How do you go about your, your meditation? Do you follow like a, like a guided meditation using like one of the apps or how do you go about it? Yeah, so that's a great question. So what I do is I use an app for my meditation in the morning. So I have the Calm app. I actually downloaded Headspace also, although I've just found between the two that I like Calm better. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do that in the morning. And I actually don't do it until after because I work out so early. I'm typically exercising by somewhere between 5.30 and 5.45. So I get my workouts done and then I'll meditate after. But it's just 10 minutes with that app. And then at night, I actually do a guided meditation with myself. So um, as weird as it might sound to some people, I sit on the edge of my bed and have my feet on the floor. And I learned about this, by the way, through a meditation coach. I hired a meditation coach in December just so that I could start learning about how I actually do this. Because like with anything, as soon as you figure out how to do it, it becomes easier to incorporate it into your life on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I hired this meditation coach for this one session and she took me through a guided meditation where she was sitting there across the table with me and, and now this is what I do on my own. So I sit on the edge of my bed and I say, okay, I'm opening up my crown chakra. I'm connecting to my higher self, my spiritual self, my source. I'm feeling that light coming down into my crown. And then I just take myself with that light, kind of bringing it through my body and really focusing on being present about the light and how the light is energizing me and that it's, it's my soul that's, you know, coming into my physical body. And I make sure that it goes down through my feet and it grounds me into the earth. And I really focus on just being present in the moment. And because you're talking out loud to yourself and bringing yourself through the meditation, I found that for me, it just helps keep me present. You know, otherwise it's so easy to have your mind wander. And I let myself for a few minutes during the meditation, I usually do this for about 10 to 15 minutes each night. There'll be a few minutes where I just sit still and just be present and focus on my breath. But it's it's come easier to me and I'm able to be present in those moments more because I guide myself through it. So that's that's really what's worked for me and what's helped me stick to the practice. And then I always start and end it with just sharing that I'm very grateful. I have a gratitude practice associated with it. So I speak out loud that I'm grateful for this day, for the intuition that I've been given about the path that I'm on. Um, and I just try to share things that I've been grateful for that I noticed about that particular day. And that's been really rewarding for me. I love it. I think the meditation, especially, you know, you know, in, in sync with the gratitude practice, like that is so, so key. It makes, it makes living with intention so much more attainable because everything you do after you're grounded like that, like there's a reason you do it. Like there's like you were saying about people grocery shop, like so many people do so many things for no particular reason. They just do it out of habit. And when you ground yourself and you really fixate and focus on every single thing you do and why you do it, you just remove so much nonsense from your life. And then the things that you do do can have 100% of your attention and become much more better. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's amazing how it just starts to happen too. I mean, 
you know, I tell people if they're interested in starting that kind of a practice to just not get too stressed out about it. Like figure out how to find five or 10 minutes, use it your timer on your phone. And I think apps are really helpful because they can help you understand just, you know, what it feels like to sit there for that period of time. I mean, I'm only talking five, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot, but the benefits that I've received from it in just an awareness of my choices, you know, sometimes actually, and I'll, I'll share this when I was at KetoCon this year in June, which was awesome. I just felt like it was, there was so much good information. There was so much good energy. I felt like we were, I don't know. I just felt like it was a reunion of sorts of all these people that just like love the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the days, and it may have been Friday, I can't remember, but I had an invite to go to this particular party with a bunch of other keto people. And I did that Friday night. And then Saturday, I had an invite to attend something else. And Saturday had been a really intense day and it was busy. And you know how busy and long those days are. And I got back to my hotel and I thought, what do I want to do? You know, and I really had to think about it because I had this invite and I could have gone autopilot. Yes, I'll go. So what I did instead to try to figure out what I, what I actually wanted to do was I meditated. So I just, in my hotel room, I was like, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes. And I took myself through a guided meditation and I was really present and I was with myself for a handful of minutes. And when I got done, I thought, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? I want to go sit at a restaurant by myself. I want to order a steak and I want to do that. And I want to journal. So that's what I did. And by the time I showed up at KetoCon the next morning, I felt rested. I felt refreshed. I felt like I gave my body what it needed. It wanted steak. It wanted alone time. It wanted some time to journal. And so it, I used meditation even just to make a decision about what I, how I was going to spend my night that night. And I was really happy that I did it. I freaking love it. I'm, I've been on and off of meditation. Like I, I go through phases where I'm just perfectly on on point, and there's times where like just the chaos of the world seems to hit me, and I just slack. Which is funny because those are the times that I need to meditate the most. Right, um, right. What's so that saying? Kind of it's like if you can't find ten minutes to meditate, you probably need an hour or something. People, yeah, yeah, exactly. Funny, yeah, funny things like that. It's true. So I definitely need to to do that. But listen to you now. I mean, you've you've brought to the forefront of my mind so many different applications to meditation beyond what what is typically associated with it. So I'm I'm more than ever motivated motivated to make it happen. So thank you for good. that. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. What um real quick here? I've got um a lot of people that have requested I bring more females onto the podcast. You know, and kind of get their perspective. So I'd love sure. to hear. You know, here you are eating a lot of calories. You know, doing marathons doing competitive bodybuilding, what's, um, like, what are some things that you notice as a female that might not hold true for, for males? Or what are some advice that you can give to females that are wanting to follow a similar path and they just, they don't know how to apply the principles per se? Yeah, that's a great question, Robert. I'll say, um, here's my top two things. Number one is, I think that it's so important for women to strength train. I say it to all of my girlfriends. I say it to any woman I meet, I think strength training is the anti-aging serum. I think it's better than any products we put on our face. And I say that because as women, um, you know, I, I heard a lot of, especially because I turned 40 a year and a half ago, I'll be 42 in August. And I remember hearing from people, oh, after you're 40, you, your metabolism slows down, you gain weight. It's just what happens to women. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Excuse me. I don't know if I can swear. I yeah. was like, <laughs> that's, that's garbage. Like no way am I signing up for that. And I will tell you at 42 years old, I have put up some of 
the best bod pod numbers. Well, just when I got ready for this last show, I got down to a 13% body fat and that's fitter than I was five years ago. So I refuse to accept the, our metabolism slows down after 35 or 40 or whatever. The reason that happens and the reason there is some research to show that that can be true is because, especially women, don't strength train. If you continue to strength train, that will not happen. So my number one thing is strength training. And then my number two thing I would say is I think it's really important for women to also listen to their bodies and pay attention to the signals that their bodies are giving them. You know, I used to think that it was, I could always treat my um, workouts and my food and everything like any other guy because I work out so much and because I feel like with the kind of athletics that I do, it just wasn't different. But I will say, and I actually shared this with a couple of the women I was talking to at KetoCon, I went through a period where I wasn't getting my period because of getting ready for these bodybuilding shows and having low body fat. And what I did is I did one day of a carb cycling. And my, by carb cycling, I mean, I had a sweet potato and I had some gluten-free oatmeal in the morning. And that actually started to correct my cycle. So I looked at that and said, hmm, I haven't had a cycle for a while. That tells me that something's off with my body because that's not normal. You should have a regular cycle. And so I need to figure out what does my body maybe need in order to put me back on track. And literally, it was like one day of carb cycling and I was back on track pretty shortly thereafter. So strength training is one. Listening to your body is the other. Um, and just really the art of self-experimentation. I mean, the way that I have figured all this out about my body over the years and knowing how much protein I can handle and how much fat my body needs and how low I can go on carbs and still feel like my hormones are all in regulation is because I'm experimenting with myself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, try 30 days of something and see if that works for you and do a bod pod or a DEXA scan or an in-body test or something at the beginning, at the end, if body composition is important to you or if that's not what's important to you, figure out another metric that you want to measure from start and finish in a 30-day experiment and just do it because every one of us is a unique individual. And even though there are similarities between all of us, everyone, I just empower, I try to empower women to figure out what works specifically for them. And I can't give them a magic recipe. They've got to do some experimentation on themselves to figure it out. I completely agree. I think so many people are like, they're frozen or paralyzed to try just to try something. You know, they, they like wait for permission from people who have no right to give them permission. Like it's your body, it's your life. Like if you want to try something, just do it. And worst case scenario, you can still learn so much from it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to help answer questions of that stuff for women. I, I recently, um, I'm in the process of launching this kind of business outside of my trial practice, just because I get so many questions about a lot of this stuff. So I'm happy to have, you know, respond to people's questions and they can reach out to me both through Instagram and through my website. And I can, I can give you that info as, as we go in the show. But I, I, I really encourage people to experiment with them with themselves so they can figure out how the different diet and exercise protocols that they employ work best for them. Absolutely. 100%. I'm curious, what, what kind of business endeavor you get going on? Well, so, you know, one of the benefits of being a trial lawyer for 15 years is I'm used to speaking in front of groups. Mm -hmm. And so I've been arguing to judges and juries for many years. And I really, this motivational speaking thing has been a calling of mine for a long time. And so I'm branching into motivational speaking and also just some group and individual coaching, 
because people have, I get asked about what I do both for uh, diet and exercise a lot. And so I just want to help share with people what I know and what I learn and help them figure out what works best for them. So it's going to be coaching and speaking primarily, Robert. Very cool. Yeah, I think there's so much confidence that you gain in, in speaking, you know, to a group. And I don't know, like confidence in life in general, no matter what it is related to, like that just, it overflows and it, it spills into all other aspects of your life. I mean, if you have confidence in speaking in public, for instance, that flows into having confidence and trying these self-experimentations on your nutrition, like everything just feeds off another. And confidence, not to be, you know, confused with cockiness, but confidence is like such a huge character trait. Like I put so much significance on that. Yes, I totally agree with you. It's been, you know, I, I think confidence, you're right, not cockiness, but being confident while being able to be humble and just be a leader, not because you want a bunch of people to follow and do exactly what you're doing, but because I just really respect and admire people who choose to lead by example. And so I choose to do that in my life. And if you want to get on this train with me and you want to do what I'm doing, that's awesome. If you want to learn from me, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. I'm a big believer in everyone just gets to do what makes them happy. And so if you want to learn more about what makes me happy, I'm happy to share it with you. And if you don't, good luck to you. I, you do you. I'm very, I'm a huge believer in you do you. Yeah, I think that is the absolute right way to look about it. You know, if you're, you know, confident, but you're open-minded and you're leading by example, when you try and like force yourself onto others or, you know, convince them that your way is right, even if it is right, they're automatically going to be turned off to you and you're not going to be able to make the impact that you can. If you just lead by example, then they're going to come ask and they're going to come knock and they're going to see what it is you're doing. And then they're open to any suggestions you have. And that is such a huge, you know, skill set when it comes to trying to get people to do keto in the first place. Like, my like my family, I want them to do keto. I can't try and convince them. You know, I just have to kind of lead by example and hope that someday they'll, you know, be eager to learn because I don't want to turn them off to it. But you know, grow growing organically like that and letting it happen naturally and and just leading by example and doing what you know in your heart to be right. I mean, yeah, that's that's what it's all about right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were laughing. I was just thinking about this last night. I ran into some girlfriends and they had just ordered this massive, massive dessert at the table at the restaurant that we were at. And so I went over to them and I was like, and they laughed because they know I'm keto. And they said, oh, hashtag keto. And I said, no, I can try. I can try a bite of it. Let's have a bite of the ice cream or a bite of whatever. And so, you know, just also being able to have fun with it and not take everything so seriously. It's like, okay, I, it's not like I, I never have a bite of this or a bite of that, or I haven't tried things over time, or I don't have a day where I say, okay, I'm going to go off plan today. But, you know, 97% of the time, I'm strict about what I do, not to the point of being nuts about it, but just to be, to do what makes me happy and to do what makes me, I feel successful and optimizes my performance in all areas of my life. And so I just challenge people to do that. Life is too short to, to not figure out ways to, to maximize your life and make yourself the best that you can be. Absolutely. 100%. I'm excited to see where you're going to be in the next year, much less six months. I mean, you're just, you're just compounding and growing at a crazy rate right now. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I appreciate that. I'm excited about it too. Absolutely. Um, so what can people go to find out more about you and the, the side hustle you got going on? Yeah. So what I, right now I've just got this, um, I had gotten a landing page up on a website for the purpose of getting that ready before I went to KetoCon, but I'm still working on that. So it's a little bit under construction, but you can reach out to me that way. And that's at my Instagram handle name, which is MN, that's MN like for Minnesota. So mngoldengirl.com. So I have that website and then I have that linked through my Instagram and people can follow me on Instagram. I keep my page open and I spend a lot of time on my stories sharing, you know, things that I eat while I'm at the work day, um, 
different workouts that I do. And I'm going to put some of those on my highlights just so that people can go back to them because I've heard people say, I'm trying to screenshot them and I want to remember the recipe that you wrote down, but I, I it moved too fast or whatever. So I'm going to put some of those things on my highlights and I'll share those too. And people can look at those for a resource and reach out to me, Instagram or through my website. Very cool. Very cool. I'll link out to that too, to make it easy for people to find you. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Well, Kristen, it has been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I'm excited for what's come, what's to come. Um, in the meantime, you just keep killing it. Thank you so much. You too. I really appreciate you having me on the show today, Robert. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Take care, Kristen. <laughs>